again, Happy New Year uh, to you all. And it's going to become our practice here, at least in, in our church here in Clearwater, to kind of seek the Lord for a word of direction for the year. And I felt something a, a little different this year. Uh, it's not something I've really... Uh, well, every year is different. So, but uh, it, And it's not a prediction of things to come or, or anything like that, uh, of things I feel are going to take place. It's rather an anticipation of what God, I feel God wants to do. Um, I've entitled this message, The Prayer of Faith for Revival. The Prayer of Faith for Revival. And I want to qualify that uh, with an explanation that God has not spoken to me that 2023 is the year of revival. Um, although that would be wonderful. I'm not saying it's not either. So you know, he's, he's speaking about praying for revival. You know, so that's what I've kind of been feeling. And actually for several months, I wrote down notes several months ago as, you know, so I, yeah, I'm going to speak on this at some point. So I just kind of wrote them down. And then as I was praying, Lord, what do you want to do? Like, what should our focus be? How do you want to lead us out? I just felt quickened with this thought of prayer. And it's a sense that God desires to draw his people to prayer and draw us to prayer in a new way. Um, and that uh, specifically that thought of praying for revival, asking him to move in our churches, in our local cities, in our land, um, but, you know, it's that thought that revival has to be birthed in prayer. You know, I've often told, you know, how Pastor Bailey was sharing a vision of the last days and in the vision that was uh, depicted as a map. And uh, there were little dots of light all over the map. And it was understood that these little dots represented prayer meetings. It was people gathering to pray. And to cry out to God. And as, as the map was there, these little dots of light started to grow. They started to increase and just kept getting bigger and bigger until the light took over the whole map. That's all you saw was light. And what was understood was that that revival that we're looking for, we're anticipating, uh, is going to be tied to churches and people who pray. And, you know, I've had that sense now for several months of a call to prayer. And, you know, it was really quick to me for this year. And that for 2023, God wants to do something in his people and to birth something new in prayer. Now, there's a couple quotes I want to read. The first one was by a man who participated in a great revival I don't know if anyone has ever heard that there was a revival in Norway. I haven't read a lot about it. I've actually, that kind of piqued my interest to see if there's any good books on it. But it happened in the 1930s. But someone who was associated and involved with uh, the revival and the move of, of the Lord in Norway, he said this. He wrote an article and said, It all comes down to this. Revival in our churches is as near as our prayer meetings. Not only scripture, but all church history shows that no revival can ever come any other way. And that's what this man experienced in his revival 
uh, or the revival that, that took place in his nation. You know, and so revival in our churches, uh, that, that phrase really jumps out. Revival in our churches is as near as our prayer meetings. Another quote, this was by a, a preacher, an author named A.T. Pearson. And he said, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. And, you know, he knew what he was talking about because there was, back in his day in the 1800s, there was a specific revival that started with a prayer meeting. And it was actually, I think it was in New York City. And, you know, it started off small, but by the time it got there, there's about like 10,000 people praying in this prayer meeting. And it, it started an evangelical movement that drew many people to church and so forth. So, you know, prayer has, has played such a large part in past revivals, and I firmly believe it will play an integral part in the revival that's yet to come. Now, what I'm not saying is that we need to apply more human effort, that we're just not doing enough, or we need to, you know, pray X number of hours or have X number of prayer meetings. You know, that human effort is not the key. But that the key is that we open our hearts to what God wants to birth, to what he wants to do, that we might receive faith. Because when that faith comes as a substance for what God's to do, and then we can pray according to that faith, that's when the miracles take place. But it's also the idea of the necessity for those who are willing to take on the burden of prayer. You know, that's going to play a large part. Uh, there's, uh, speaking of that revival in Norway, there's a story of another person. Actually, this is kind of the origin story of that, um, that it, it started in a single church in Oslo. And it's, the story goes that there was the, the janitor of the church, the caretaker. He was a very quiet and humble man. But one day he told the pastor, and they had many empty seats in the church, right? It wasn't full. Uh, but he's, one day he just, out of the blue, declared to the pastor, this year these empty seats were going to be filled because God is going to move in revival. That kind of took the pastor by surprise because there was a lot of empty seats. But the pastor knew this caretaker, this janitor, was godly, he was humble, and that he prayed. And he had a real prayer relationship. He was an intercessor, you know, with God. Sure enough, that year a mighty revival came. The seats were filled and it, it grew and affected other churches. And, and it grew until it affected the whole nation. And it lasted for about nine years. But the caretaker said one day going on in the revival, the, the, the janitor, he, he shared with a pastor, he said, I'm going to share with you what I was not free to say earlier. He said, if you only knew how often I knelt behind this pulpit and shed many tears, praying God to send the Holy Spirit in revival power to this church. And he was revealing how that revival was birthed. And it was through prayer. A spirit of prayer came upon the servant of God. And, and it's the idea that God wants to begin to move upon his people. Not just that we start praying for revival, because we've been praying for revival for many years. But I feel that God wants something of faith to be birthed. 
something of substance that will empower our prayers to believe for a breaking forth of God's spirit, of victory over the oppression and what would prevent his spirit of revival flowing. Now, recently, well, several months ago, I was teaching the book of Daniel. And something that struck me in that book uh, it was kind of a renewed sense of his ministry. Daniel, what was his ministry about? Right? Yes, we always look at like the dreams and the visions he interpreted and, and his place of authority in Babylon. But you know, really what his ministry or a big aspect, a hidden aspect as well of his ministry was that of prayer. Because we know Daniel was faithful to pray three times a day, no matter what. Even when they made a law that said, if you pray to anyone else besides the king, you'll be put to death. He, he didn't care one bit about that law. He was going to pray. But it was because it was, it was his ministry. That, in one sense, that's what he felt he was there to do. But really, what he was doing, and probably we could even know some of the words of his prayers that he was praying three times a day because, you know, I think it's safe to assume he's praying some of the, some of the prayers of Solomon that he prayed when he, when he dedicated the temple of the Lord because Solomon prayed a prophetic prayer that he, you know, he's praying when, and he didn't say if, he basically said when Israel is taken into captivity and they turn and they repent and they pray towards your your holy temple, Lord, hear them. In fact, let's read that. In 1 Kings 8 and verse 47, here's Solomon praying for the, the dedication of the temple and the glory of God's going to come. It's almost like, what are you saying? Captivity? But he says this in 1 Kings 8, 47, he said, when they come to themselves in the land where they're carried captive. Not if, when, <laughs> Because the Lord knew, the Spirit of God knew. And when they come into that land and they repent and they make supplication to you in that land, and that's what Daniel did for 70 years. And they come to you saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We've committed wickedness. Verse 48, and when they return to you with all their heart and all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and they pray to you toward, you, uh, toward their land, which you gave to your fathers and the city which you have chosen, the temple which I have built for your name. Verse 49. Then hear from in heaven. Hear from heaven. Your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplication to maintain their cause and forgive your people which have sinned against you. And so a large part of Daniel's life and purpose was to remind God of this prayer, to hold it up, you know, Lord, hear from heaven, forgive and restore. And so three times a day, you can imagine Daniel just kneeling down saying, Lord, hear from heaven and visit your people. You know, restore us to the land of our inheritance. Yeah, that's quite a ministry. 70 years of praying. But at the end, there was an increase in that fervency. It's like something entered Daniel's heart that he prayed and he cried out and he met with God. He interceded for Israel because he knew through the prophet Isaiah that the 70 years were almost accomplished. 
And so at one point, talks about Daniel, how he set his face to pray because he knew it was the time. And then he just, you know, he, he went after it. Said he, he didn't just pray, he fasted and prayed. And he sought the Lord. And sometimes he didn't hear an answer for weeks, but he prayed and he didn't give up. And, you know, it was a season of prayer, but something miraculous was accomplished in that. Something happened in the spiritual realm, which is what really is going on in answering these kinds of prayers. Angels were moving on his behalf because of his prayers. Even the archangel Gabriel was fighting battles in the heavenly realm in order to bring an answer to the prayers of Daniel. And of course, the answer to that prayer was ultimately that a new king would rise up. His name was Cyrus. And he was the man that Isaiah also prophesied. I've used his very name hundreds of years earlier because Cyrus was going to make that decree that Israel could return to the land and rebuild, rebuild the city and the nation and the temple. But that restoration was birthed in prayer. And that's you know, actually something we've already received in the sense of a word for our fellowship. Right? One of the speakers at a recent pastor's convention, they were asking the Lord, how do, how do we obtain the breakthrough? And the Lord responded through prayer and fasting. And that through prayer and fasting, there would be a breaking of the oppression and those things that keep us from growing and increasing. And so, you know, we're in a position where before the great outpouring of God's spirit, there has to first be done a work in the spiritual realm. Then the outpouring comes. You know, we only have to look to the beginning of the church, to the founding of the church to see that, right? Because before that great outpouring on the day of Pentecost, they spent a lot of days in the upper room. Jesus ascended and the word was go and wait. And they didn't just wait and sit around and drink coffee and, you know, hang out. They got things done. In fact, it says in Acts 1.14, it says, They continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. And they let God work and do a work of cleansing and restoration. And, you know, Judas was replaced. And God began to speak and mended relationships. They became organized and ready for the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit. And we do get a sense, almost as a, as a church around the world, it's like we're in the upper room, and our job is, and purpose is to continue and to come in one accord in prayer and supplication for God to bring his outpouring. And so before we can experience the greater works of Christ, there has to be a birthing in the upper room. You know, and when we consider this concept of birthing, you know, of course, I'm a, I'm a man. You know, and some of you ladies, you know firsthand what that experience is like and the pain and the travail to bring forth a child means. But yet that's the illustration that God used. You know, it talks about a prophecy of Christ in Isaiah about he experienced travail on our behalf. Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now, even Christ, when he was on earth, 
He was called to bring forth salvation to all mankind, but to do so, he experienced a travail upon his soul. And it was a travail that brought forth a mighty miracle. He accomplished much through his travail. But it says he would see the the travail of his soul and be satisfied because he justified many through that. Now, one of the, the pictures we see in the Gospels of this, and one of the stories that kind of illustrates this is the story of Lazarus. All right, we could all remember that story from the Gospel of John, how Jesus tells his disciples, Lazarus is asleep. And they say, oh, well, well if he's asleep, that's good. That, that means he can, you know, recover. Of course, then he had to say, no, Lazarus is dead. But Jesus waited several days. By the time uh, he finally comes, it says something interesting. It says he wept. And then again in, in John eleven thirty eight, 38, it says, and Jesus groaning in himself came to the tomb. You know, before this mighty miracle took place, there was a weeping and there was a groaning, a travail that took place in the spirit of Christ. And really that, that's the purpose of this, this message that God wants to connect his people to his spirit in a new way in order to bring forth that miracle. And in, and in John eleven forty three, 43, the miracle was three simple words, Lazarus, come forth. And the one who had been dead for four days walked out of that tomb and was alive. But it was through some travail. But the, the, the thing I keep sensing is that God wants to bring us into a new progression of prayer. You know, that's something we can see even in the, the tabernacle. You know, the, that there's a progression of prayer. And it seemed first at the outer court, you know, at the altar, um, you know, the altar of sacrifice. And it represents the, the place each believer comes. And, you know, we meet Christ at that altar. We allow his sacrifice to cleanse us and make us new. But then there's a progression in the holy place because there's the altar of incense. And that's where the, the priest enters into a new life of prayer. And we're called to be kings and priests after him and enter into a life of prayer and supplication. And, you know, there's even prayer that it begins to change us. And, and we can understand that from the ingredients of the, that holy incense that was offered on, on the altar. There was stacti, which is a form of myrrh, which speaks of meekness. There was anicha, speaking of brokenness in prayer. Galbanum, speaking of tears. Frankincense, speaking of faith. Now, it's the ingredients that are there that are formed in us that then allow the miracle to take place. Because the final progression is where the high priest would go into the, the most holy place. And he would take coals from off the altar of incense and he would put them in a censer. And he would pass through the veil and would wave that censer so that it, it says, so that a cloud of incense would cover the mercy seat. I think that's such an interesting phrase that it's the incense from the priests that would cover the mercy seat. And really it speaks of a, a progression of prayer and, and really it's a travail. It's passing through the veil, which me, speaks of a crucified life, of a groaning. And as Christ experienced that in his life, but in so doing, there's an empowerment. There's a release of power and glory in the presence of God. As we saw with Lazarus, it was resurrection power. 
But that spirit of travail and intercession, it must first come upon the people of God. Like with Moses, you know, Moses didn't just receive the plan of the tabernacle. He experienced that travail in order to bring the people into the land. You know, when he, the first time he went up Mount Sinai, he came down from the presence of God and heard a noise and Joshua said, is that war? And he's like, nope, it's something else. And it was the people had, uh, you know, as Aaron said, tossed gold into the fire and a calf jumped out. And so they decided to worship that calf, you know. And so that was, I'm sure, very disappointing. And it was disappointing for the Lord, too, because he made an offer to Moses. He said, Moses, I'll take your children and make a nation out of them and judge this people who have turned so quickly to idolatry. And what did Moses pray? In Exodus 32, in verse 32, he said, Lord, if you won't forgive their sins, blot me out of your book. I'm, I'm throwing in my lot with them because they're your people. You know, he, he gave of himself. He interceded for them. He was willing to take their place, but it was because he had entered into something to intercede on behalf of his people. It was a spirit of intercession. You know, several years ago, actually quite a few years ago now, but we, you know, when we were leading summer camps for many years, like almost 20 years, we led summer camps. We're, we're still doing, we, they're come back again in the form of retreats, but, but at one of them, we had a remarkable experience. You know, God came in one meeting and kind of through that, throughout that week, but at one meeting, God came in a mighty way. And it was, it was not uncommon for the kids to be worshiping for hours at the altar, you know, for, uh, for some of the altar calls. But in this, in this meeting, a travail came upon these young people. I'd never seen that before. I mean, I, I'd, I hadn't really seen that before on adults. And so it really surprised me for this spirit of travail to come upon young people, upon these, these kids. Um, they were just on their knees crying out in prayer and in travail. And the, it's the intensity of it is what I remember. And it was not just for forgiveness of sins, but it was for God to move in their lives, for God to move in a new way. And you know, at that moment, nothing else mattered to them other than meeting with God. It was a spirit of travail that came. And I, we remember talking to Pastor Bailey after that, and he said something that we haven't forgotten. He said, that is what needs to come upon all the churches before revival can come. We need a spirit of travail to bring forth the promise of God. I want to consider one last verse in closing. Isaiah 66 and verse 8, it says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And so Isaiah is asking a question, has anyone heard of such a thing that a travail would come upon Zion? But as soon as sheep travailed, she brought forth her children. You know, we're looking for a birthing, for a new work of God to come upon us, for the reign of the Spirit to be released in the time of the latter reign, which we believe is now. But we also recognize that something new must take place in prayer.
And it's not something we have to produce. Thank God for that, because I hate trying to strive to produce something. We can't even do it if we tried. But it's something God wants to birth in his people. It's something he wants to release upon his people. That those who would be willing to pray, to intercede, to cry out, to travail, that that faith would be released from heaven and that faith will produce the miracle. And so in closing, let's pray. And let's recognize that God desires to do something new in prayer and is giving an opportunity for his people to enter into something new. And if that's your desire, let's pray together. Amen. Father, we just come to you. Lord, we're, we long for you to move in our midst. Lord, we hunger and thirst for you to come and to work in a new and a fresh way. Oh, Lord, we, Lord, we recognize, Lord, it's not in us to, to pray and to produce something. But Lord, it's in the power of your spirit to come upon us and to enter into our hearts, Lord, and to come upon willing vessels. And so, Lord, we just present ourselves to you, Lord, as willing vessels. Lord, we Lord, just long for you to come and to move and to begin to pour out your spirit. Lord, we even open ourselves, oh God, to your spirit of intercession, oh God. Oh, for your burden and even your travail, Lord. Oh, because we long for Zion to bring forth, oh God. Oh, come, oh God. Come, Spirit of the Lord, and come upon us in a new way. Move upon your churches. Move upon your people. Oh, let us be sensitive, oh God, to prayer, to crying out to you. Oh, move, Lord. Let that burden of prayer come as only you could bring. And Lord, we look to you for it. We trust in you. We set our heart upon you, Lord, that we could be, Lord, those of Zion, that will enter into all of the fullness that you have. Oh, and that travail would bring forth the promise, we pray. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.